guys are looking great. Chipper, that was good stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the seven-day challenge. We will talk to you about it more, but it's something that the Lord put on my heart and I sensed to lead us into for this new year. And What Luke said was, was awesome. So uh, let's dive into the Word of God. If you'll turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And um, this morning I want to continue to talk about Christmas promise. You know that we've been learning about King David. We've been studying his life, most of you know, over the past uh, couple of months. And we're going to continue to stay in David's life. And this is kind of like a sub-series of our study of King David. Because uh, if uh, those of you who were last week, is 2 Samuel 7 is really the prequel to the Christmas story. You know? Anyone see The Hobbit yet? Yeah. yeah. I, can't, I haven't seen it yet. But I, I want to go. And, it, you know, The Hobbit's the prequel to The Lord of the Rings. Those of you who are into that kind of thing and those of you who aren't. That's okay. Uh, and so, you know, nowadays, uh, nowadays, the movie makers are all into prequels. So I just got it. I'm just riding the wave of pop culture here. No, I'm joking. We've been in studying David's life. And many of you know, Jesus was not just born of a virgin named Mary. He's not just the son of God, but he's also the son of David. And I'd encourage you by in the next couple of days, read the Christmas story yourself um, uh, it, check it out in Matthew chapter 1 and 2-ish, something like that. And also in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. And it's amazing if you'll just read the Christmas story, uh, how the Lord can bless you and impact you. But it's important for us to just, you know, read it and remember. I've been actually acting it out with Emma and a little bit with John David. But Emma's three years old and so she's really in, the, in that acting out phase. So, uh, I mean, in the good way. <laughs> the acting out phase, that didn't sound right. The pretending phase, and so I tell her the story, and I act it out with her, and so she, it's hilarious, we put a baby doll in her t-shirt, and then the baby pops out, she's Mary, obviously, right? She's, she loves the story of being a mom, so we just, I'm sure for all of 2013, Dad, will you play Mary and baby Jesus with me, Mary and baby Jesus? So we've been playing that, it's really fun, and, and so uh, I just encourage you, read the Christmas story, and, and immerse yourself in that in these next couple days. And so today I want to look at 2 Samuel chapter 7 because it's so important to the Christmas story. But more than that, it's important for us, for what God wants to say to us. If you'll remember last week, uh, I briefly talked to us about the story from 2 Samuel 7. It's about David, uh, about King David, and a promise that God made to King David. If you you remember, King David was uh, telling God, I want to build you a house. David was king, he was... He was already blessed, he was, he was just hooked up, and he was living in a mansion, and he says, man, I'm living in a mansion, but God's uh, ark, basically the ark of God, which is a symbol of God's presence, is, is being housed in a tent. This is not okay. I'm going to build God a house. So he tells God, I'm going to build you a house. And if you remember, God said to David, you're going to build me a house. You're going to build me a house. No, 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 I'm going to build you a house. And God turned it around and said, I don't need a house. I'm going to build you a house. And in verse uh, 16, God basically tells David what that means. He says, um, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And so God says to David, not his physical house, but his dynasty, his kingdom is going to last forever. It's a very big promise that one of David's sons would sit on the throne of King David forever. And we saw last week that when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, he said to her, 
you're going to have a ba- you know you're going to have a baby even though you're a virgin and his name's going to be Jesus and he will be the son of David. It's very important for us to understand that not only did Jesus come to us because God promised it to us. God promised a savior would come to us. Hundreds of promises in the Old Testament have been fulfilled because of Jesus' coming, his death and his resurrection. And yet Jesus was born to Mary and born as a son of David to fulfill a promise made to one man. God's promise to David. It's amazing. And the point last week, obviously, was that God keeps His promises. That God can't lie. When He makes a promise, He keeps it. Even if it takes a long, long time, He keeps His promises. He doesn't forget. He's absolutely faithful. But the other thing about this story is how David responds to God. See, what I want to talk to us about today is how to receive a promise. Because God has made hundreds of promises to you. They're, they're in the Bible. All over the scriptures are pro, is promise after promise after promise that God has made to you. Promises to bless you and to give you life and a future and a hope and a purpose and a calling. Promises for abundant life. God doesn't just want, he, we know that Jesus came and died for us and rose again so we could have a relationship with him. But he wants to give us so much more. He's a good dad. So he's made promise after promise after promise to us. And here we see God making a promise to King David. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a son to sit on your throne forever. And we see David respond to that promise. And that's the question. How do you receive a promise from God? How do you respond When God gives you a promise. See, just because you have Christmas presents uh, waiting for you doesn't mean you'll open them up and get them, right? If you have a present waiting for you at the UPS store, but you don't even know that it's there, or you don't know how to get there, you're not going to get down there and pick up that present. There's a lot of Christians who don't even know they have gifts waiting for them. Promises in the Word of God waiting for them if they would just know how to take hold of them. There are many believers that maybe they know that there are promises or maybe even know some of the promises in the Word of God, but they don't know how to receive those promises. And so often we as believers have such great potential but aren't tapping into it because we don't know how to receive. You know, it's true that, that all of the promises of God to you are by His grace. David didn't earn or deserve the promises of God. You and I can't. It's always by His grace. But we receive it by faith, don't we? Think about Ephesians 2, 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is, it is not uh, by works, by, by, uh, not, not, not of ourselves that we can boast. Totally butchered that verse, sorry. But I got the first part. In Ephesians 2, 8 it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Well, which one is it, grace or faith? By grace, through faith. You cannot do God's part, and He won't do your part. See, every relationship is like the game of tennis. you got to hit the ball back, right? We've talked about healthy relationships recently. It takes two to play tennis, which I always say if you're in an argument, it takes two to make that argument happen. So if you just stop hitting the ball back that way. But Same thing in in a healthy relationship. It takes two to play tennis. If God serves the ball to you, 
you got to hit it back, don't you? If you don't hit it back, there's no game. There's no game. I know that because I play tennis on the Wii with my son. We're not that good either. <laughs> so so you got to hit the ball back. So how do you respond to God? And I love this. In 2 Samuel 7, in verse 18, after David hears the promise from God that says, I'm going I'm to give you a son to sit on your throne forever. It says this in verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. See, David has been a mentor of mine since I was 16, since I came to know Jesus. I've watched David, how he loved God, how he followed God, how he heard God and obeyed God. And I continue to learn from David's life, just like we are as a church, saying, Lord, show us David as an example so we can follow him. And I love this story. This gets me so excited because imagine you had a mentor, uh, a hero, and you got to hear a private conversation. You got to eavesdrop on this person. You got to find out what they're really like. See, God gives David a very personal and very precious promise, and we get to eavesdrop on David's conversation with God. We get to hear the promise, but we get to see how David responds. He goes in. You can see it right here in verse 18. The first thing he does is he goes into the presence of God, basically where the ark of God was housed. He went into the tent. He goes right in before the presence of God, and he sits down before God to have a conversation with God. Right? He doesn't go, oh, that was nice, and go on with his day. He responds to God. And, and I, we get to like... Look in at this very personal, very intimate, private conversation. Listen to what David says. Verse 18. Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land? Before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have people Israel, your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. Let's stop there here for a second. He goes on, but let's stop there. Notice how he begins. Who am I, Lord? Who am I? What's my house that you have brought me this far? And then he says, and yet this was a small thing in your sight. And you have spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. I believe one of the, I think the way to summarize this, the way David responds, it's his knee-jerk reaction when God says, I am going to make your house last forever. He goes and he sits before God. And he just goes, who am I? I think the best way to summarize David's initial response is humble gratitude. He just comes before God and says, who am I, God? I, I don't deserve this. See, David does not have an ounce of entitlement mentality in him. 
He, he understands that he doesn't deserve anything from God. An entitlement mentality is when you, you have the mindset of, you know, what have you done for me lately, God? You know, what it, and what are you going to do for me? And how come you haven't answered my prayer? And, right, it's very, when we're, when we're impatient before God, when we're complaining before God, we have an entitlement mentality thinking that we deserve something from God, that we've earned it. And the reality is that we cannot earn any of the grace of God. We don't deserve anything that God has done for us or ever will do for us. And David comes before God with a humble gratitude. A humble gratitude meaning, I don't deserve this. I can't earn this. And notice the first thing he says, who have brought me this far? See, David understood. I was a shepherd. I was just a normal, average Joe. But God made a promise that I would be king, and I'm, I'm king now. So he's already, he's, he's already blown away that, that God has blessed him. He's sitting in a mansion. He's, he's already got tons of uh, fame and, and, and blessing. But he also knows that his, his calling as king was for the sake of other people. And so we see right here that David doesn't think like, uh, that he deserved any of this. This is how he feels about his calling. This is how he feels about the blessings and the promises of God. God, thank you. It's a humble gratitude. Thank you because I don't deserve this. <clears throat> See, when, when we have that entitlement mentality, we complain before God, it shuts down the flow of God's blessing in our life. It shuts down what God wants to do. It is so unattractive to God. I remember the, the, if you're, the story of the people of Israel. They had just come out of Egypt, right? God set them free from Egypt, delivered them from being slaves. They watched God do these mighty miracles in Egypt. They walked through the Red Sea with a wall of water on their left and their right on dry land and watched the Egyptian army be destroyed by the water they just walked through. They watched an amazing miracle. They walked out of Egypt not poor, but all of them, the Bible says, were healthy and they had asked their neighbors for, sil- for gold and jewelry and received it. They walked out, plundered the Egyptians. A couple days into the journey, they get to, they're getting thirsty. They get to a, a, a little lake, a little uh, oasis, and it's bitter water. And what's their response? Man, what are we going to drink now? Man, what's gonna, what did God bring us out here so he could kill us? They start complaining to God, the Bible says. And it was their trend. What did, what did Moses do? Moses, like he would always do, fell on his face before God and cried out to God. And God showed him a tree. He threw the tree into the water and it turned sweet. See, when you complain, that becomes your myopic focus, your reality. When you complain, you know, and you're impatient, he hasn't done it yet, or, you know, I haven't seen this, or God hasn't done this yet in my life. And we focus on those things. We focus on what he hasn't done, or that becomes your reality. Those Israelites, the tree was right there. The tree that could turn that water sweet. The solution to their problem was right there. And what was the key that would unlock the solution for their problem? The voice of God, right? But they couldn't hear his voice. 
They couldn't see beyond the bitter waters. They couldn't see beyond that. Because they're, they're blaming God and they're accusing God of being evil. And see, the Bible tells us that there be no grumbling or complaining among you. Zero, right? Because when you grumble and complain, it shuts down the blessing of God. It causes you not to be able to see what he sees or hear what he hears. On the other hand, thankfulness is the greatest, most healthy emotion you could ever have. See, think about it. If you're waiting for God to do a promise, fulfill a promise in your life, you're waiting for the blessings of God in your life. If you're thankful, humbly thankful, Lord, I don't deserve anything. But Lord, I just wait for you to fulfill your promise in my life. You'll be happy while you wait. And when you receive it, you'll be happy when you receive it. But if you're ungrateful in the waiting time, if you're ungrateful in the wilderness time, guess what happens when the promises come? You're never happy. You won't be satisfied. You'll always be thinking about the next thing that God needs to give you, the next thing he wants to do for you. And the thing is about the kingdom is the kingdom always grows slowly. Like I often tell you, it grows like fruit on a tree. So what happens is, in the kingdom, you get a little breakthrough, and then a little breakthrough, and then a little breakthrough, and a little breakthrough. But if you're not thankful, you'll miss the little breakthrough, and then you'll miss the next little breakthrough, and guess what will happen? You'll miss the big one. But thankfulness creates momentum. Little breakthrough, thank you, Lord. Little breakthrough, thank you, God. I don't deserve this. Little breakthrough, God, you're so good to me. Big breakthrough. I remember um, I used to uh, really struggle with self-pity and comparing myself to others. You know what? I remember I would see other people like move in the power, their gifts of the Spirit. Just be like, oh, I don't know how come God doesn't use me like that. Or I would see other people get a prophetic word from God. And I'm like, I never get a prophetic word from God. I was like mad about that. I really was, you know. Man, they always get a prophetic word. Always get a prophetic word. I never get a prophetic word, right? Which was maybe not totally true, but that's how I felt. And it probably is somewhat true. I, some, they, the prophetic word was attracted to them. <laughs> you know? But my self-pity did not attract the things of God. So I, I, remember I just would kind of compare myself and struggle with that kind of self-pity. And then the Lord began to teach me. I had to be thankful. I remember in a season where God was breaking pride in my life, I would say these very words that David said, everything comes from you, God. Everything comes from you. Who am I? I don't deserve anything. It's all by your grace. It's all by your grace. And there's a sense in which we need to realize we don't deserve anything, right? The very air we breathe is grace. He didn't have to create you. He didn't have to create me. He spoke the world into existence and he made you personally. Even if you've been through a horrible uh, 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 life up to this point, he made you and has a purpose for your life and he's going to redeem even the broken things. And he, he could have just destroyed the world when Adam and Eve sinned. Ah, oh, forget them. Start over again, you know? I mean, I'm out of here. I'm going to another planet. But did he? No. He has come committed his heart to us, sent his only son to die on the cross for us, forgave every one of our sins, and those of us who have accepted that gift, I mean, you're going to heaven, right? Eternal life. Eternal life. There's a sense in which, like, just like David, who am I 
I was a sinner. I had rebelled against you. I deserve hell. I deserve to be dead in my sins. And yet you have forgiven me. You love me. I don't deserve anything else. I don't deserve that. But I don't, you know, right? Just that humility to say, God. And yet look around your life and see the blessings and see what God has done, the redemption he is bringing. Oh, but I'm still struggling with this. But what has he done already? And you've heard me say that thankfulness for things that happened in the past leverages you to receive things in the future because thankfulness is the language of faith. Thankfulness positions you to receive things from God. And David is approaching God with a humility and a gratitude. And notice what he's saying. He's talking about the past blessings. God, thus far, look at how far you've brought me. Look how far I've come. And all of it's been by your grace. I don't deserve any of it. But notice the next thing he says in verse 19. And yet, I love this, and yet, this was a small thing in your sight. See, there's a lot of Christians, they'll say things like, you know, I don't need anything else, God. You died for me, I don't need anything else. All I need is you, Lord. And it sounds spiritual, but you're lying. Number one, you want more. We were created to desire things. You know, desires are not evil covetedness and greed and, and jealousy and all that that's bad but desire is not bad the bible says delight yourself in the lord he'll give you the desires of your heart jesus said if you abide in me my words abide in you ask what you desire what will be done for you let me tell you but we always make uh, we always make this joke you can't outgive god this is one of those stories that proves that god fulfills this promise to david to be king he pours out blessing on david God made David king for the sake of Israel, but David got blessed. See, when you walk in the call of God, you get blessed. When you give your life for Jesus, you get blessed. Sorry, there's no way around it. Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, you'll receive a hundredfold. Whatever you give up in this life for me and the gospel, hundredfold in this life. Oh, he means like spiritual blessings, right? No. Read Mark 10. He like lists houses, land. Talking about blessings in this life. No, no, Jesus is all about poverty. No, he's not. He said, give it all for the gospel. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. There's a lot of Christians who are, I don't need anything. I just need Jesus. It sounds spiritual, but it's not true. You need God (laughs) for your finances. You need God to fulfill your calling. And you want to fulfill your calling, most of you. Are longing to do something of purpose. Whoa, I just totally knocked that off. I'd never done that before. I was getting a little excited, I guess. Where'd it go? There it is. There it is. There we go. Christmas spirit. Okay. You need God. You're longing for a greater purpose. You're longing to fulfill your purpose. You're longing to do great things for God. You need Him to do that. Somebody is foreclosing on their home. Oh, I need is God. Yeah, and God has the answer for that foreclosure. He has the answer for you. He loves you. He wants to bless you. And that's what we see here with David. God didn't need to make this promise to David. God loved David. And God's like, I'm going to give this to you. And David didn't say, no, no, it's okay, God. That's okay. You're all I need. What did he say? Thank you. 
See, when God makes a promise to you, yeah, you don't deserve it. Receive it. Receive it by, with thankfulness. Receive it with humility. And see, we see, that we, we see this attitude in David's heart of humility and gratitude for his past, but also for his future. He says, yes, Lord, you have spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. And I love how he marvels. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? What he's saying is, is this how you treat people? Is this, how, is this, what you, is this like what you're like? Is this, how you, is this what it looked like to be in relationship with God? And you know what the answer is, right? We know. The answer is yes. See, David begins to think about God at this point. He turns from saying, wow, Lord, I don't deserve this, but thank you, and thank you for this promise. He turns from that, and he begins to exalt God. Listen to what he says. Is this, is this the manner of man, O Lord? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your own, for your word's sake, and according to your own heart, you've done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. There is none like you. See, it's so important that we turn from just thinking about our circumstances or the blessing and the promise of God, and we bless the one who made the promise. See, notice what David is doing is that everything that God is saying to him, everything that God has done for him is causing David to worship God for who he is. Do you see that? There is none like you, God. He's not just worshiping God for what he said to him or what he's done for him or will do. He's worshiping God for who he is. I love when he says, for your word's sake and according to your own heart. What does that mean? For your word's sake, meaning... You said it and you did it. You're faithful. And for your own heart, meaning nobody made you do this. You want to do it because you wanted to. You love me. Do you see how David's talking to God? David is seeing the heart of God in this. He's seeing the character of God. And that's so important that we move from just, Lord, thank you that you said you're going to provide for me too. Lord, there's no one like you. You're so great. You're awesome. And you're, you, you love me and you're faithful. Like that is so important that we move from that, that, that heart of gratitude into that place of worship. <clears throat> and I remember when I was telling you earlier that I just used to have that self-pity and the Lord began to break that. I began to just say to the Lord, everything comes from you, God. I don't deserve anything. It's by your grace. And I don't just mean I began to say it. I began to let it. I said it until it would get into my heart. <laughs> and I meant it. I would just pray that way. And I stopped asking for stuff. Often we'll tell people, uh, you know, people will often ask God. Their prayer life is full of asking. You know, how healthy of a relationship is that if every time you got on the phone with your parent, or if you're a parent and your child got on the phone with you, can I have this? 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 And this? And this? And this? It's like, wow, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't that be a little bit overwhelming? What about coming on the phone with God and say, I love you. Thank you for what you've done. You're so great. What about listening too, right? Having a conversation with God, just like any other healthy relationship, is just to say, Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. And so I, I told somebody that my prayer life stopped being a lot of asking and began to be a lot of praising. And it still is to this day, mostly thankfulness. I don't have to ask for much because once I've asked, we're good to go. Now, I might pray for the same thing every week. 
that's because I'm still waiting for him to do it. Lord, I thank you. I've asked you for this. I thank you you're going to do it. But it's an attitude of thankfulness and it's an attitude of embracing what the Lord's doing. And I began to realize that God had already made promises to me in His Word. Instead of saying, Oh man, I never receive any prophetic words, you know. And that was what I was being, you know, having self-pity over. But we're like that with everything, aren't we? We just fill in the blank. I began to go, say to God, you know, you made promises to me in your word. I, I don't really need a prophetic word. I, I need to believe what you already said. Amen? He already spoke. And I began to just believe what he said in his word was for me. And I began to thank him. In fact, my whole, I still do it to this day. Some of you, if you'll be with me in a prayer meeting, a lot of times this is how I, thank you, Lord, that you say this. Thank you, Lord, that your word says that. Thank you, Lord, that you said this in your word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I say it all the time now. I don't do it to be religious. It's become a habit. But I didn't used to pray like that. I pray like that because I see what he said in his word, and I simply respond, thank you, Lord. And I'll tell you, not only did my faith grow in what he said in his word, but I began to attract prophetic words and where before i'd get a prophetic word and you know you forget the next day instead i learned how to take that word and do what david did see when you hear a word from god whether it's a prophetic word through another person or you're reading your bible and god just quickens something when you're reading your bible something might jump out at you or you might get an insight from the bible or God might actually just, you might hear the voice of God, maybe in your spirit, might sound audible, might not be audible, but just God might impress something on you when you're reading the Bible. Or even as I'm preaching the word to you, or you're listening to a message uh, uh, while you're running or jogging or uh, driving in your car, you're listening to the word being preached, God might speak to you or remind you of something. What do you do with that? Well, you do what David did. You go in. To the presence of God. That doesn't always mean you go to a physical place. It could just mean that you turn your heart to the Lord. And you say thank you Lord. See when the Lord gives me a prophetic word. Whether it's just him and I sitting there. And just I'm just with him. Or a person prophesies to me. I don't go oh that was nice. And then forget about it. Which is what most believers do. That's not what God wants you to do. With a promise or a prophecy. He wants you to take it. Thank him for it and remember it and hold on to it. It's more like a gift that he wants you to use or more like a seed he wants you to plant and water through prayer and meditation. And so I do now what David did. Because of that, those words that I receive from God, I don't forget them. More than that, they grow into something that bears fruit in my life. And so now when I'm in the word, I hear God and I say, thank you, Lord. But I also, it attracts people coming to me and giving me prophetic words. And when I receive those, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you said this to me. And when I go into my prayer times before the Lord, you know, daily or weekly, I'll stand before God and say, thank you, Lord, that you said this to me. In fact, prophecies that I have, I write them down. And I'll go over them in various seasons of my life and remind myself. So 
So Lord, this is what you said, and I thank you that this is what you said. This is your word to me, and I'll thank him for it. I believe that's the reason why when I lay my hands on people, they get healed. Maybe not every time, but it's because I stop looking at myself, comparing myself to other people, walking in self-pity, and I began to just say, thank you, Lord, that your word says this. And that built my faith up so that I can begin to move in the things that God has for me. I could use a number of examples uh, in other areas of my life. I'll say it this way. I've never received a breakthrough in my character or in any promise or blessing from God until I believed that He wanted to do it more than me and I received it with that kind of thankful faith. The next thing that David does, and we won't go over all of it, but well, well, I'll just read this to you, verse 25. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, listen to what he says, establish it forever and do as you have said. See, the first thing he does, Lord, thank you, right? That's it, thanks. Who am I that you would do this for me? Second thing he does, do it, Lord. That's an interesting prayer, isn't it? See, when God tells you he's going to do something for you, what do you do? Do it. It's really that simple. Now, when he tells you to do something, what do you do? You do it, right? You know what I'm saying? We want God to answer our prayers, but when he tells us to do something, we don't answer his prayer, do we? But in this case, there was nothing David could do other than have a baby, I guess. But, I mean, like, he already had some of those. But, uh, you know, he... There's nothing that David was going to do to force this to happen. This is something God was saying God was going to do for David by the power of God. There's oftentimes promises God makes to you and you can't make it happen. Now there's things that we can do to position ourselves, like right here with thankfulness. But this is how you pray. This is how you respond to God when he makes a promise to you. You say, do it, Lord. Do it, God. What is that? What is that? That's called agreement. You come into agreement with God with faith and obedience and you you say, yes, yes, God, yes, to what he's saying. Listen to what David goes on to say. So he says, establish it forever and do as you have said. Verse 26, so let your name be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. Now, Lord, now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. When you're agreeing with God, just tell him what he said. There's a lot of people, you'll, they'll say, Oh, uh, why, why should we pray if God already knows everything? Or let me go another step for, for, further. Why should you pray if God said he's going to do it? It's called agreement. See, God doesn't do anything on the earth except through human beings because he created us. He's sovereign, but he's chosen to work through people. Do you know that even the coming of Jesus did not come except 
through the words of people. Hundreds of prophecies spoken through people. Prayers prayed through people. And it was only then that the Messiah, Jesus, came. God does nothing except when human beings agree with Him. That is why we pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what that is basically saying? Do it, God. What you will, make it happen. You said your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. You said one day there would be a new heaven, new earth. But we're asking, let your will be done. We agree with your will. We love your will. Your way is the right way. We want your way in our life. We want your way in our church. We want your way in our community, our business, whatever. We want your kingdom come. Do it, God. It's called agreement. That's how heaven comes to earth, through agreement. That's what David's doing. Do it, Lord. Do as you have said. You spoke it, now you do it. Because if God said it, David knows what I taught last week. God keeps His promise. He can't lie. And the great thing about this is if God said it, you can be confident He wants to do it. Amen? So the best thing you could do is take the Word of God, what's written in the Scriptures, and just say it back to God. It's really that simple. Do you see, that, do you see that's what David's doing here? Verse 27, For you, O Lord, God of hosts, God of Israel, verse 27, have revealed this to your servant, saying... I will build you a house. Do you see that? God, you said you would build me a house. Verse, the end of verse 27, Therefore your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer. Do it, Lord. What I'm saying is, if God says to you, again, through a prophetic word, or as you're reading the Bible, or you're hearing a, a sermon being preached to you, and you hear, man, that's a promise from God, you say, Lord, your word says, Thank you, Lord, that your word says. I don't deserve it, but I thank you that you said it. You're a good God. Is this your manner of, with men? <laughs> Is this how you treat people, that you would want to do this for me? Say, Lord, but you said it in your word. You said it in your word. So do it, Lord. I agree with you. See, the promises of God are, in our human mind, too good to be true. You want to know why? Because they're supernatural. We live in a broken and fallen world. God is so good. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. He is so much better than you know. He wants to bless you more than you could ever imagine. He wants to do more in you and through you than you could ever ask or imagine, the Bible says. And He's able to do it. Of course the promises of God are too good to be true. Because you probably weren't raised with a good dad like God. And even if you were, he's better. Of course the promises of God are too good to be true. Have you ever read the Bible? I mean, you read it and God's like, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to bless you abundantly. He's just promise after promise after promise spoken over us of blessing and provision, of purpose. I got one for you. All your sins forgiven? And because of the blood of Jesus, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you get to go to heaven. You get to spend eternity with Jesus. Did you know it's even bigger than that? You're going to reign with Christ. We get to reign with Christ. That, that's like a big deal, you know? Like it means you get 
It doesn't matter if you're on the bottom of the ladder at your workplace now, you're going to be on the top in heaven. Does that make sense? And you know why you're at the bottom of the ladder at your workplace, right? So you can serve. God gives you favor so you can serve. But anyways, that's a whole other story. But God's going to give you favor. You're going to go up that ladder, but you're going to do it as a servant. But my point is, these promises in the Scripture are way bigger than us and way bigger than our natural mind can understand. And so it's very common for Christians to say, oh, it's too good to be true or something like that. But on one extreme, we have that entitlement mentality where people try to manipulate God, try to get some selfish thing for themselves, or we're just impatient or complaining. But on the other hand, so often we don't agree with what God said. You'll read some promise in the Scripture and go, huh, wonder why that's in there, you know? That can't mean that. That couldn't mean that, could it? That by His stripes we are healed. That couldn't mean that, could it? Healed. Because that's not my experience. Yeah, that's the point. It's not your experience because we live in a broken, fallen world, but God is so much bigger and so much better than us. And the Bible simply says, by His stripes you are healed. He said it. He paid for your healing on the cross. It's so much bigger than you could ever imagine. So what do we do? Do it, Lord. David couldn't make it happen. What is David going to do? Okay. God said my house is going to last forever. Make this thing happen. What's he going to do? Nothing. By his stripes you were healed. What are you going to do about it? What, are you going to heal yourself? No, the doctors don't know what to do. There's no cure for this thing. I don't know how God's going to do it. He promised in his word to heal you. When there's no hope, the Bible says by his stripes you're healed. What do you do? You Thank you, Lord. You died for my sin. I don't even deserve that. Thank you, Lord. Right? See, what are you struggling to believe God with? Go into the word of God. If it says you're righteous, you're righteous. If it says you're healed, you're healed. If it says that he will supply all your need according to his riches and glory, he's going to do it. And you take the word and you say, thank you, Lord. Do it, God. Do it, God. I remember a few years ago, uh, yeah, it must have been a few years ago, that uh, I was learning to, to just stand on what God said in His Word. Just believe what He said in His Word. I would just pray it back to Him and I would tell God, I'm only going to say what you say in your Word. I'm not going to speak over my life things that are not in your Word. And specifically, regarding the finances of our church. Now, you guys know that God is the provider for our church, amen? That this is His ministry and His church, and He'll provide. And of course, as Luke said, when we tithe, we come into partnership with God, and we honor Him, and we, and we also partner together. But there was a month or so, actually, I think it was a couple months, where the tithe or the, 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 the amount that came in for just paying the bills and stuff was really low. And I remember, instead of doing what maybe I would normally do, worry, right, or things like that, or maybe just, oh, hope God comes through, you know, say things like that, I just said, Lord, you said you provide. I thank you, Lord, that you said you supply all our need according to your riches and glory. And I thank you, Lord, that you said you'd bring in abundance for every good work. And so I thank you, Lord, you're going to provide. And I'm, Lord, I just tell you right now, I'm not saying anything other than what your word says. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just 
Just doing that. Just like what David would do. But just responding to God's word that way and standing on it when, I, when, I don't, when you don't see it. Right? It's by walking by faith, not by sight. And I remember just one month just saying, no, I'm not going not gonna to waver on that. I'm just going to say what God says. going to say what God says. And I remember the next, the, next, uh, um, the next month, I think it was April, like the first week, the amount that the Lord brought in, obviously through the faithfulness of His people, the amount that the Lord brought in was more than the whole month before. It's like, bam, God just provided. I remember when Debbie told me, she's like, did you see what the amount? I don't really, I don't usually look. It helps you walk by faith sometimes, you know. I mean, I look, I look at the uh, totals at, at when it comes in. I don't know how, who gives or how much people give, so never worry about that. Not between me and you, between you and the Lord. But I remember Debbie said, did you see how much, you know, came in? And I said, no. She told me. I just said, Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to say what you say. Now, that's a, obviously, as the pastor of the church, that, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. It's a personal thing. But how many of you, even in your own finances, right? Even Michelle and I, recently, you know, just some financial tight times and stuff. And a lot of it's because we transitioned recently, uh, you know, just with getting a house and all this stuff. A lot of just different expenses. And we, I, was, I was overwhelmed with some of the weight of some of those expenses. But I wasn't, I wasn't worried. I felt a little bit like, man, you know, should have prepared better. I should have, probably. But I just come before the Lord, you said you'd provide, God. I'm not worried. In fact, I wasn't worried at all. I said, no, he'll do it. He'll take care of all those bills that we have. And he has. Not even the, not even the end of the year. I remember, uh, what's his, uh, Scott. Declared over us, God's increasing favor in our church, and He is. And He said, "This is the year He's going to cancel debts." I mean, Michelle and I never had debt before, and we just had a little bit of debt—not too much, but we hated it. You know what I'm saying? A little bit, not good. And uh, I said, "Lord, I'm not, not going to worry." I just spoke His promises over that. He did it. He did it. Gone. <clears throat> so. When God gives you a promise, whether from the Word of God or He gives you a prophetic word over your life, what do you do? You say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. With a humble gratitude. And then you say, do it, God. Do it. And you come into agreement with Him and you pray that promise until you see it happen. There are people that I have heard things from God about. Things God's going to do in their life. And I just keep declaring it over them. And even recently, I saw somebody get a breakthrough with God. The very thing I'd been declaring over them for at least a year or two. Now, we're not done, right? Because the kingdom, little breakthrough, little breakthrough, right? Same thing in my own life. I have promises from God. On Monday morning, you know what I'm going to be doing. Standing before the Lord and blessing Him and praising Him and read my word. But I'm going to be remembering what He said to me. So let's do that. Luke, why don't you come on up? Let's respond to God.